Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. Our pilot this month is Mostly Dead Things. It was written by Brian C. Brown and Jessica Lee Williamson. Brian has written on About a Boy, Briar Patch, and Legion. He wrote the film Lucy in the Sky. Jessica has written on I'm Dying Up Here, F is for Family, and Medical Police, which was a real big hit in my house uh, with my kids. They're both veteran storytellers from The Moth, something we get into in my interview with them, which you can hear next week. The pilot is based on the book by Kristen Arnett. It's definitely a show that was meant for cable or, or, or streaming. There is some adult content here, so if you're listening with kids, just be aware it's some great Central Florida weirdness. It's funny. It's got real, but it's got real drama. Fantastic characters. You know, if anyone was a fan of uh, the Bridget Everett show, Somebody Somewhere, it's kind of reminded me of that tonally, just and in, in the specificity of the setting uh, and the uniqueness of the characters. It's just a really fresh and well-written pilot. Our cast included the fantastic Allison Tolman. From Gaslit, from Why Women Kill, from Good Girls, Ritesh Rajan from Russian Doll, Serena Fialo from 911 and Life in Pieces, Nicole Travolta from Anger Management, Marcus Bishop Wright from Slashening, The Final Beginning. Love saying that. Our friend Lizzie Pete from How to Get Away with Murder. Another friend, Corey Forrester, one of the well read crew who's. Uh, been on this show before both as a writer and an actor uh check out that one that i uh wrote with Corey and trey and drew anyway uh uli schlesinger from generation and divorce all right enjoy mostly dead things in the briefest time i feel like we got to know each other bro i appreciate you so much for that do you read minds or what? It's really a very sacred space you've created here. <laughs> bullseye! You've hit the bullseye, baby! Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm here with Brian C. Brown and Jessica Lee Williamson. Brian, Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We are about to read your pilot, Mostly Dead Things. Can you just set this up for folks? Tell us a little bit about what we're about to hear. Well, Mostly Dead Things is based on the book, Mostly Dead Things, written by Kristen Arnett. Um, and it's about a family of taxidermists living in central Florida. I'm trying to think of how much we should tell people. 
Brian. I, I feel like that's that's good enough for me. I, I this is a a show about a place that is very like important to the two of us and Central Florida, which is a strange and flawed place, but uh we're obsessed with it. It made me who I am. Uh and we're just excited that uh people get to hear this. We're very proud of the script. Well, great. It's all we need to know. It's another run-of-the-mill taxidermy family show. Yeah. Um, and this was uh, sold to where? FX. FX. Sold to FX, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. Do you want us to talk about like we'll the- We'll get into all that uh, in our interview. Let's just... Okay. I'm excited cool. to hear it. Let's get into this. Um, this is Mostly Dead Things. The pilot written by Brian C. Brown and Jessica Lee Williamson, based on the book, Mostly Dead Things, by Kristen Arnett. Over black, we hear. I've got the joy, 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 joy down down in in my heart. Where? Down Down in in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Cut to a family, bright, shiny, full of life. There's a father, a mother and two smiling kids. I've got that joy, 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 joy down down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. They're driving along in a minivan, all of them singing. Their voices aren't perfect or even good for that matter. But this family is really giving it their all. And, and if, if the, the devil, devil doesn't, doesn't like it, it he can, can sit, sit on attack. attack. Ouch! Sit, sit on, on attack. attack. Ouch! And then... Look, a deer! The singing stops as the little girl points excitedly out the window. The others turn their heads. Their smiles vanish. And we see a deer tangled in a barbed wire fence. We're on a central Florida road. Moments later, our family has pulled to the side. They've climbed out of the van. The mother, the little girl, and the brother are all huddled there together watching as the father eases his way towards the frightened deer. He's half crouched, speaking in a hushed whisper. It's okay, buddy. When the father finally reaches the panicked animal, the deer immediately starts to struggle, bucking and kicking, sending the father stumbling backwards into the mud. But he won't give up, not now, especially after he looks over and sees the nervous thumbs up the mother's giving him. Nobody's going to hurt you. Carefully, the father pulls at the barbed wire, creating enough space for the deer to eventually free itself. The father can't believe it. He's actually done it. For a brief, magical moment, the stunned deer and the stunned man stand there on the side of the road, face to face. Go! You're free! And with that, the deer bounds off. The family cheers. The father smiles. And then, boom, the deer is hit dead on by a giant semi-truck splattering our family in deer blood. We pull back to reveal that they are standing beneath an old Disney World billboard, the happiest place on Earth in sun-bleached letters. And then the camera pans away, leaving this family behind for good as we find a little rusted-out pickup truck screeching to a halt. The truck door opens, and a wave of crushed Miller High Life cans pours out followed by a woman in cutoffs and a plaid shirt she wears like that's some kind of uniform. This is Jessalyn Morton, rough around the edges with a deadpan wit. Think Wednesday Adams by way of Ronda Rousey. Jessa beams with excitement. This deer is the best thing that's happened to her in a long time. Jessa kneels beside the dead animal, gets right in there, unfazed by its twisted neck and glassy eyes. Don't you worry your pretty little face. I'm going to get you all fixed up. 
and we cut to the deer carefully laid out in the bed of Jessa's truck. Jessa drives with the window open, drumming on the steering wheel along with the radio. We catch a glimpse of her bumper sticker, taxidermy. It ain't just stuffing beavers. And we cut to our title card, mostly dead things. Jessa continues her drive through central Florida, weaving through this strange and humid place she calls home. Florida is a huge piece of who Jessa is. We see a mosquito truck drive slowly through a park, pumping out a thick fog, engulfing a playground crawling with children. A flock of ducks peck at dozens of stale donuts spilled across a giant parking lot. A weathered sign on a shuttered family business depicts a crossed out face mask and the words, face diapers, not welcome here. We cut to a man leaning against his car and waiting. We're at Morton's taxidermy at the back entrance. The man wears a purple Fun Spot America polo shirt, the word manager embroidered on his chest. This is Jess's sensitive younger brother, Milo, equal parts M&M and a pair of Oakley sunglasses. He's a true Florida redneck through and through. Jess's truck pulls into the lot. She gets out slightly annoyed, but not at all surprised to find her brother here. Thought she had work. Rotavirus outbreak on the splash pad. Can't wait till the chem dump works. It's shit neutralizing magic. And you call my job growth? Yeah, here I am. Brother of the fucking year. Figured it's your first stay back since. Suddenly serious, Milo trails off, unable to say it out loud. Since dad clocked out forever. I just thought you might want some company or help. Not that you'd ever ask. Oh, I remember the last time you stepped foot in here. You cried, barfed, and then cried some more. <laughs> I was eight and dad made me gut an armadillo. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. I'm not saying I'm looking to get my hands dirty, Jessa, but I could comb a possum's hair or something. You know, help keep your mind from wandering dark places. I already got someone to help with that. Jessa walks over to the truck and drops the tailgate, revealing the dead deer. Milo gags at the sight of it. Fresh enough for leftover jerky. Oh, isn't there uh, some kind of health code for that sort of thing? Yeah. If you don't see flies, you can serve it with fries. Come on, grab the back. Milo pulls his shirt collar over his nose. Oh, quit being dramatic. He's barely even dead. And we cut to a beautiful, majestic bear. Even though it's stuffed, this animal looks ready to take a step forward, to come alive. It's a thing of beauty, taxidermy at its finest. Jessa and Milo enter the shop, stepping over a big pile of mail. They continue past a long shelf loaded with novelty stuff. Squirrels in hunting vests, aiming miniature rifles, and a possum rowing a little canoe. With a grunt, Jessa and Milo drop the deer on a work table. While Jessa gets the lights, Milo spots an issue of taxidermy today. The cover features a man, an elephant, and the headline, getting an elephant was the easy part. Then he had to get it in his basement. Milo thumbs through the magazine while Jessa bangs on the broken thermostat. Fucking thing. How are you feeling about tonight? What even is this thing? A memorial service? A welcome home dinner? I heard mom on the phone calling it her unveiling. Jessa makes puking sounds as she throws a tarp over the deer. She quickly pulls bags of ice out of the chest freezer, piling them carefully on top of the animal. She even throws a couple of hungry man dinners on the pile for good measure. That woman's never smoked a day in her life. Then yesterday I find cotton candy vape juice in her pocketbook. She is not okay. I mean, shit. 
I broke down crying in the middle of the mini golf birthday party last week and dad didn't even like me. None of us are okay. I am. I'm perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) You've never been fine a day in your life, but you keep saying it, you know, maybe it'll come true. Milo tosses the magazine aside and moves on to a squirrel dressed as the University of Florida mascot, Mr. Two Bits. You gator chomping at football games now? Shut up. It pays the bills. Some of them anyway. You know, you don't have to keep this place going anymore, right? Oh, yeah. Plenty of other opportunities out there. Scalps a boar real good looks great on a LinkedIn profile. A voice breaks in, calling out from the front of the shop. What the fuck? Jessa and Milo rush outside to find a tatted up firecracker in a jean skirt and flip flops. This is Bryn Morton. She's Milo's wife and Jessa's lifelong best friend. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's too good. Simultaneously, Jessa and Milo turn towards the shop's display window to find a pornographic cross species taxidermy diorama. There's a stuffed Florida panther sprawled on her back, eyes closed tight in ecstasy as she's mounted by a massive alligator with a strap on. The alligator reaches for the panther with its stubby little arms. There's a smattering of dildos and sex toys for added effect. Just when you think the worst thing you can find when you show up to work is your dead father. Oh, come on. I know you have no interest in dicks, Jessa, but this is great. (laughs) Expand your brand. The new slogan can be taxidermy and butt plugs because everyone needs a good stuffing. That's disgusting. Jessa turns to find a group of women her age in visors and sportswear out for their morning walk. The group's leader, Kendall, stares daggers into Jessa. They know each other well, went to high school together. But unlike Bryn and Jessa, Kendall was always on the marry a college graduate and be a wine o'clock mommy track. Don't have a stroke, Kendall. I hate it more than you do. Trust me. Jessa really does hate it, but she hates Kendall more. Just when I thought you couldn't stoop any lower. Come on, you don't think about me. You don't think about anything beyond what wine pairs best with the Pop-Tarts you sneak from your kid. Mm, You're trash, Morton. You always be trash. Come on, girls, we still got 4,000 steps to go. Kendall and the others power walk away. Bryn calls out. See you at the grand reopening. Get your needs met while preserving the family pet. Stop. People are going to think that's what we mean by Morton's taxidermy and more. It's not like you're losing a customer. Kendall was never going to bring you her dead Yorkie. But from the looks of her, she could probably use a new dildo and a lot of KY. Jessa gives Bryn a playful shove. You're such an asshole. That's why you idiots love me. Jessa turns her attention back to the window. It is possibly the wildest thing she's ever seen. Who the fuck would do this? Something occurs to Jessa. She shoots Bryn an accusatory look. Bryn throws her hands up in denial. Don't look at me. You know, I never went for your family's creep shit. And I can tell you from experience, the only part of this that speaks to Milo is the missionary position. Hey, gross. And with that, Jessa heads off to cover the window. Bryn walks over to Milo, taking his arms, pulling them around herself. Milo presses his face into Bryn's hair. All I know is the missionary position, huh? That sounds like a challenge. Going to prove you wrong all night long. <laughs> More like five minutes long, if I'm lucky. Hell, why wait? What do you say we swing by the house before we leave? We've got five minutes. I have to take a rain check. I don't think I can make it, actually. Any chance you could go without me? Swoop in and save the day? Milo's surprised. 
Uh, yeah, 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 of course. But uh, don't you think we should go together, you know, as a family? I wish I could. Something came up. Bryn pulls away. She kisses Milo on the cheek and then heads off. Milo calling out to her. Don't forget about tonight. Uh, the dinner thing, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I'll be there. Promise. Milo watches her disappear. He's lost in thought until a dildo flies through the air and thwacks him in the face. I thought you were here to help. Inside Morton's taxidermy and more, Jessa and Milo are finishing up the cleanup. She's draping a tarp over the animals and he's got a trash bag full of toys. All right, I'm going. He holds up a butt plug. What am I supposed to do with these? Look, Milo, it means the world to me that we are as close as we are, but that is a question for anyone other than your sister. I, I meant... Um... Jessa smiles. She was fucking with him. She's always fucking with him. Milo waves her off. He heads out back, hefting the trash bag over his shoulder. As he leaves, the bell over the front door rings and a man enters. This is Wit, his 30s, Jess's age, another person she grew up with. Every single article of clothing he's wearing has a massive Ralph Lauren polo logo on it. What'd you do? Kill a man for telling you to smile. Actually, I killed him for making the same stupid joke every time he walks in here. <laughs> Wouldn't have to hear my jokes if you paid your rent on time. A lot on my plate these days. Don't I know it? To be honest, that's the only reason I'm not throwing you out. Notifying new tenants about a violent death on the premises really lets the air out of the whole lease negotiation. I'm so sorry for your loss. Maybe we could work something out. Wit starts circling the stuffed bear. It really is the shop's centerpiece, looming over him as if ready to strike. You see, I got an adventure. Ice cream shop across the way. Gonna make a killing this summer. You give me this guy here. I slapped some ice cream cones in his hands, got myself a mascot. And you? You've got, let's say, three months rent. Bear's not for sale. Come on. I can throw in a free waffle cone upgrade whenever you drop by for a scoop. My father won a silver medal at nationals with that trophy. Wow. Silver medal. That come with a cash prize. No. And I don't see how it's relevant to the situation at hand. Either way, you've got a week. And we cut to a teenage boy with a winning smile. We're in juvenile hall, and this is Bastion. He walks confidently down a row of cells led by a guard. Bastion seems entirely untouchable until a hand reaches out from a cell and grabs him. Bastion turns to find a big kid glaring through the bars. There's a long, tense moment. The guard reaches for his nightstick, but then the big kid softens. Get some pussy out there for me. Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Hard to smuggle that kind of thing in here. You know, can't exactly make pussy into a cake. Let's go at the juvenile hall processing center. Bastion changes into his clothes and the guard takes the quiet moment to offer a stern, but well-meaning warning. You're a smart kid. You do more with your life than sell drugs. A lot more. I don't want to see you in here again. You hear me? You won't promise. And then Bastion beams a mischievous smile. Turn 18 in a week. Next time it's with the big boys. The guard can only shake his head. We're exterior of the juvenile hall. Bastion steps outside, squinting in the bright sun. 
Milo's there waiting for him with a giant monster energy drink and an even bigger smile. Milo wraps Bastion up in a hug. Bastion hugs him back. He may not be his biological son, but Milo's always treated Bastion like his own. Damn, gone for four months and mom already left you? <laughs> she had a thing. Dude, you'll see her tonight. Let me get a look at you. Milo grabs Bastion by the shoulders, really looks at him. Cut my hair. You look like a bank teller or that collections officers from uh, Rent-A-Center. You, you remember that? Yeah, asshole took my PlayStation. Your PlayStation? That motherfucker took my bed. And they both laugh. <laughs> you ready to get out of here? Yeah, you know it. Milo wraps his arm around Bastion's neck, pulling him in close as they walk to the car together. We're at a laundromat. Bryn's just sitting there in a molded plastic chair, occasionally glancing at the door. Eventually, she pulls a crumpled dollar bill from her pocket and tries to put it in the quarter machine. The machine rejects the dollar and Bryn steps aside, allowing the young boy waiting behind her to take his turn. The boy slips a five in and the machine burps out his quarters. Bryn holds up her crumpled bill. One dollar for two of those quarters. Easy profit. The boy eyes her suspiciously. Uh, what are you doing here? My, my grandma says you don't even have any laundry. Bryn looks over to find the boy's grandmother watching suspiciously. Bryn waves. The grandmother doesn't wave back. I'm hiding. Don't tell. From who? Bryn looks around dramatically, checking to make sure the coast is clear. And then she leans in and whispers. Everyone. Uh, why? You ever have that feeling where you go, um, I just want to go home? The boy nods. Well, I had that feeling the other day, except I already was home. What do you think that means? The boy shrugs. He has no idea. Yeah, me either. But then, as if flipping a switch, Bryn flashes her magnetic smile and waves the crumpled bill. So what do you say? Double your money? The boy hands over two quarters. When he returns to his grandmother, she scolds him. But Bryn pays them no mind. She's too busy using her two quarters. She turns the crank of a novelty machine and pulls out the plastic bubble that, that tumbles out. She removes a supersized sticky hand from the plastic bubble and walks out of the laundromat, slapping the big sticky hand at loose dryer sheets and empty Cheetos bags as she goes. And we cut to the dead deer from our opening, now hanging upside down. We're in the shop and Jessa is hard at work. Think of this whole sequence as some roadkill variation of a meth cook from Breaking Bad. Set in the woods on fire by Hank Williams plays as Jessa slices the deer open from top to bottom. In a quick flash, in the same spot, we see a nine-year-old Jessa wearing a much cleaner version of her Publix apron and a look of deep concentration as she preps a deer for the very first time. Her father, Prentice Morton, in his 30s, stands by, watching her every move. Back in the present, Jessa toe-taps and sings along while dropping guts into a five-gallon Kirkland pickle jar. She skins the deer. She cuts along the head and the back of each leg from one thigh to the other across the chest. In another quick flash, nine-year-old Jessa makes the same cuts, only this time her father guides her hand. Jessa starts with the hind legs in the present. She grabs the hide and slowly pulls it away, skinning the entire deer in one fell swoop. She quarters and packs the deer meat, opens the freezer, pulls out a half-empty box of popsicles to make room, and drops the deer meat inside. Outside, Jessa has the hide spread out in an empty parking space. People walk past as she uses a pressure washer to remove the excess flesh. She's eating one of the popsicles from the freezer. Back in the shop, she dumps salt all over the hide. 
And one last quick flashback. Nine-year-old Jessa carefully rolls up a salted hide. Prentice, her father, watching, nods in approval. Back in the present, Jessa places the neatly rolled hide in a bucket. She pushes the deer's head against a bandsaw, separating the antlers. The moment the saw, shut, the saw shuts off, Jessa hears her phone ringing. She wipes her hands and answers. What? She listens for a moment and then... Oh, for fuck's sake. And we cut to a woman in her late 50s sitting with her head down. This woman sitting in a mall security office is Libby Morton. Through a window, Jessa is visible in the next room talking to a security guard. There's a familiarity here. The security guard, Wayne, went to high school with Jessa. Look, we have video footage and an eyewitness saw her stuff it down her pants. Now, normally our shoplifting policy is pretty cut and dry. Zero tolerance. We call the police. But I heard about your dad and uh, can't imagine what she's going through. Same best to call you. Thanks, Wayne. What'd she take? Wayne blushes as he pulls out a racy lingerie set. Oh, yeah, she'd been looking for something to wear to church. Wayne laughs, shaking his head. But then whack, 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 he jumps as Libby slaps the window repeatedly, shouting, Is this bullshit over? Am I free to go? Jessa and Libby drink smoothies as they make their way through the half-empty mall, a long stretch of air-conditioned relief from the heat outside. Will you do me one favor? Don't worry, I won't say a word. About this? I don't care you tell about this. I'm done with secrets. Oh, really? So I should just tell all the ladies from church tonight that I had to come bail you out on shoplifting charges? Go for it. But when you do, all I ask is that you do it in something a little nicer. She points to Jess's outfit. I want to not to feel elevated, huh? And with that, Libby's gone, heading off for the parking lot. And we cut to a picture of Prentice, young Jessa, and the bear. The picture is part of a clipped out article from an old taxidermy magazine. Jessa enters the store, dropping her empty smoothie cup in the trash. Then after a moment's hesitation, she flips the sign on the door to open. We go into a montage. Three stone teenagers wander the shop, giggling at everything they see. Jessa smiles, watching them. There's no way they're buying anything and business is clearly slow, but... It's nice to be back. As Jessa sweeps the floors, looking to the door, waiting for customers. In another shot, Jessa arranges a shelf full of armadillos as she's approached by a clearly nervous, shifty man. Uh, uh, excuse, excuse me, where, where do you, um, oh, what are the, uh, um, uh, the, the pocket pussies? What the fuck? Yeah, I, I, I saw it this morning in the, in the window. You, you, you saw that stuff too, right? Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. And the shifty man's shoulders drop in disappointment. That's okay. Sorry to bother you. He does the Charlie Brown walk towards the exit. At the last second, Jessa feels bad for him, calling out in consolation. Check the dumpster out back. In another shot, Jessa works on her father's bear. There's not much work to do to maintain it. The bear is pretty much pristine. Still, she likes doing it, likes running her hands across something her father had such close contact with. Another cut, Jessa sorts through the mail that's piled up. It's mostly overdue bills. All of them are addressed to Prentice Morton, but Prentice is gone. They're Jess's problem now. And then an extremely agitated man stands at the counter, picking up a stuffed and mounted ferret. I don't understand. This is supposed to be ready two months ago. I needed it two months ago. I'm sorry. Something came up. I told the man in charge it was extremely time sensitive. That was my dad. Uh, well, I need to talk to him right now. Let's go. He's, he's dead. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was pretty sad. He couldn't bring himself to tell you that he wasn't going to finish your very important ferret on time. So he shot himself in the head. Jesse gives him a fake smile and slides the ferret to him. Hurry up and take it. I have to go get ready for this memorial. I promised my mom I'd wash my hair. In the parking lot, done for the day, Jessa walks out to her truck when the shifty man pops out of the dumpster behind her. He's holding a pocket pussy victoriously in the air. Found one. Be sure to treat her like a lady. Hey, if you're a regular listener, you should know by now how much I love our sponsor, Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee, it's a coffee subscription service, and I've been a happy customer for many months now. Look, they gave me some freebies. They, you know, they gave me a hookup when they signed on as a sponsor. That's what happens when you're the host. But I am I'm a paying customer now and just happy to be a paying customer. And I, and I think I will be, I don't know, maybe forever. It's so good. When you sign up for trade, they give you a quiz about what you like in a coffee, and then they send you a bag of beans from a roaster that their human-powered algorithm thinks you'll like. These are independent roasters from big cities and small towns. I just have to tell you, every coffee I've gotten has been fantastic. Right now, I'm drinking uh, some from Portrait Coffee in Atlanta, and it just got my day off to a great start this morning. It's so good. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. And you can feel good because trade customers are really making an impact for these small business owners, these independent roasters. Often the trade customers are the largest source of new growth for them. Trade guarantees you will love your first order or they'll replace it for free. Look, if you drink coffee, if you don't drink coffee, it's okay. We forget. Just forget this ad completely. But if you are a coffee drinker, you have to try this service. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com pilots. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. So get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com pilots and let Trade find you a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash pilots for $30 off. What are you waiting for? Hey, did grad school ruin your reading habits? Oh my God, all those books you had to read for grad school. Did becoming a parent destroy your ability to focus on a book? Did the pandemic tank the number of novels you can get through in a year? Ugh, that happened to everyone and we're reading glasses and we're here to help. We'll get you out of a book slump, dismantle all that weird reader guilt, which we know you have a lot of, but most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Hey, were you a reader as a kid? Like maybe you read a lot of fantasy novels. Or horse girl books. We know how it is. But now you're an adult and you miss reading. You're so busy and you can't figure out how to get back into books. We're Reading Glasses and we're here to help. Yeah, we'll give you advice to figure out what books you love or learn to stop reading books you don't even like. We're really big proponents of dumping that book. Dump that book. But most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. And we cut to a playful dog ready to pounce. Only, of course, the dog doesn't pounce. We are at the Morton house, and this dog will never pounce again. This is clearly the home of a taxidermist. There are dead things scattered everywhere. 
In addition to the dog, there's a stuffed family cat permanently curled up on the sofa, a lacquered alligator head with a mouth full of remote controls. In the kitchen, Libby's a flurry of activity, pots and pans on every available surface. Bryn and Milo's 13-year-old daughter, Loli, sits at the table absently scraping the insides out of a stack of Oreos. Loli's eyes light up as her brother enters. Bastion signals for her to be quiet. He sneaks up on Libby, catching her off guard, wrapping her up in a big hug. Hey, you. She screams in terror, but when she realizes it's Bastion who has a hold of her, she's thrilled. Oh, you're terrible. I'm for a minute already trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I almost must supposed to get all your money. <laughs> you know, she wrote everyone else out of the will. You know, I'm her favorite. No, you're not. Bastion smiles and reaches for one of the simmering pots. Libby slaps him away. Your sister is my favorite. Stop that. Not yet. It's not done. He relents, sliding into a seat beside his sister. Missed you, kid. Missed you more. Bastion surreptitiously slides lowly a dinner roll he managed to swipe in all the commotion. She grabs it with a smile, the two of them easily falling back into the rhythm of sibling co-conspirators. Hey, you see my raccoon? Nope. I haven't seen anything. He gives her sister, he gives his sister a look, not used to being the one in the dark here. He's about to be even more in the dark as Libby turns slowly and starts a coded conversation they've clearly rehearsed several times. Oh no, would you look at that? I forgot the cheese dip and I have so much left to do. Well, I could get some for you. Libby shoves a set of car keys in Loli's hand. Be careful with it. As Loli runs out excited, Bastion turns to Libby. 13-year-olds can drive now. She'll be fine. I told her she's not allowed to make any left turns. The exterior of the Morton house, dressed in a Western shirt and jeans, Jessa leans against her truck, smoking a cigarette. She does not want to go inside. The normally quiet suburban street is now lined with several cars as the Morton's friends gather for tonight's memorial service slash welcome home dinner slash unveiling. In fact, Libby's church friend Vera in her 60s and her husband Travis are climbing out of one of the cars. Vera gives a big smile and waves to Jessa, hindered by the massive tray of desserts teetering in her hand. Jessa waves back. Reluctantly, she drops her cigarette and steps on it. There's no more avoiding this. Only then she sees something. 13-year-old Loli climbing into the driver's seat of Libby's van. Loli spots her aunt watching her and calls out, I'll be right back. Grandma needs me to go grab some cheese dip. Then she climbs in the van, turns the engine, and drives away. Puzzled, Jessa watches the van shudder down the road. The Morton house moments later, the house is filling up, but the entryway is empty except for Bastion, who makes sure the coast is clear before he begins rummaging through the row of purses lined by the door until the door opens and he jumps up, trying not to get caught in the act as Jessa enters the house. Jessa, for her part, is absolutely thrilled to see him. Hey, welcome home. Find anything good in there? Uh, nothing but lifesavers and uh, Imodium AD. Help yourself. Bastion reaches into his pocket and pulls out not the linty roll of old lifesavers, but a couple of stomach trouble pills. Gotta do better than that. I think your sister just stole mom's van. Oh, it's not stolen. Grandma just sent her off for some cheese dip. Jess appears into the living room to see 10 to 15 of her mother's friends milling about and chatting. How's it feel to be back amongst your favorite people? My mother's weird friends from church. You know, I was looking for my raccoon, the uh, the one I made with your dad before lockup. You seen it? 
the cross-eyed one that looks like he's got a head injury. <laughs> uh, I was just getting started. I haven't seen it, but if we survive tonight, you should come by the shop. You know, I can show you things. Might have to hurry before they cut off our power. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. In the backyard later, Milo sits on the porch drinking a beer. Overgrown and full of memories, the yard looks like it hasn't been touched in years. Jessa steps out of the house, a BB gun slung over her shoulder. She takes a seat next to Milo, leaning into him. Mm-hmm. That ain't memorial till someone busts out the BB gun. You know it. <laughs> Jessa takes Milo's beer, finishing it off in one long gulp. Then she walks out into the yard and sets the bottle on a milk crate before returning to her spot next to her brother. How'd the rest of the day go? Jessa takes aim, fires, the BB completely missing her target. Shitty. More people looking for blow-up dolls than actual service that we provide. Mm. Told you you should sell the place. Screw you. What happened to brother of the fucking year? <laughs> they both laugh at this. It's all good-natured for a moment anyway. <laughs> but Milo's got something on his mind. What's with you? Just all this shit with dad just got me thinking about making some changes. You know, stepping up with, with Brandon and the kids. Maybe put my hat in the ring for a promotion at work. He takes the BB gun. Gives it a few pumps and takes a shot. Also missing. You think Bryn would hate going on a cruise? Or would she say she... Or would she just say she hated it and then have the time of her life and then get named honorary captain or something like that? Could go either way. Well, I gotta do something. She's drifting again. Couldn't even go pick her up at her. Couldn't even go pick up her own son today. She didn't go? Something came up. And you didn't ask what? Milo shrugs. He shoots and misses again. Maybe she's out looking for a job. (laughs) (laughs) And as they both laugh, the tension is broken as easily as that. That woman's never worked a day in her life. Not true. She got that thing as Dairy Queen that one summer. Yeah, and her first day she gave us free blizzards and then left when we did. Right in the middle of her shift. Okay, so she's worked half a day in her life. She's not getting a job. Yeah, well, she loves you. That's one thing I know for sure. Milo nods. He knows that too. He hands Jessa the BB gun. And then, as if on cue, there's an eruption of activity in the house behind them. Bryn is home. Speak of the devil. Milo stands and heads inside. Rather than follow him, Jessa walks out to the beer bottle and the milk crate. She winds back with the BB gun, swinging it like a baseball bat, and the butt of the gun makes contact, exploding the bottle and raining pieces of brown glass in the overgrown yard. In the Morton house, Jessa walks in to find Bryn hugging Bastion close. Loli's back, too. It's a real family reunion. I fucking missed you, Bastion. Looks good, doesn't he? Bryn pulls away from her son to get a good look at him. I hope they didn't straighten you out too much. Milo pulls all of them in for a group hug. Jessa, though, continues to stand back at a distance, watching them. You hungry? Starving. I told you the food in here sucks. (laughs) Bryn hugs Milo. It's clear that whatever Milo was feeling on the porch doesn't matter. He lives for this woman's touch. Sorry I'm late. We're all here now. Where's Grandma? We lost Grandma. Mom? And before anyone can panic, Libby steps out of the bathroom and everyone goes quiet. What? She is stunning. 
dressed in a spectacular evening gown, something far out of place in this home and amongst these people in their ill-fitting denim and T-shirts. Look at you, Vanna. I'd like to buy a vowel, please. I, on the other hand, I'm just wondering if there's a why. <laughs> Everyone's staring at Let's eat. As they make their way into the dining room, Jessa aggressively rubs her mother's back. You're being very affectionate. I'm just checking for security tags. In the living room, everyone is gathered where, uh, in, where a card table is stacked high with food. Better get yourself some of that new casserole before it's all gone. I'm calling it the S-O-B. S-O what? Supposed to be south of the border. <laughs> oh, anything beats what I've been eating for the last four months. Oh, I'm glad, sweetheart. You eat that son of a bitch right up. Elsewhere, Travis is trying to figure out how to sit on a couch covered by pillows and a giant curled up tabby cat. Go. Move. Come on. Don't mind, Scooty. He doesn't bite. Not anymore. <laughs> she laughs, picks the cat up and casually tosses it aside, revealing it's stuffed just like all the others. Meanwhile, across the room, Jessa, Bryn and Milo are huddled in a corner. I think we should have a code word or something. Bananas, maybe. And what? You say bananas and we all leave? Bryn and I live here. Remember? What if, what if we just like tackle her and lock her in her bedroom? Come on. Might as well enjoy it. Anyone think I can get Vera Malatesta to say shit before the end of the night? Jessa it, doesn't even wait for Bryn to finish the sentence. Make it fuck and you've got to bet $10. They both spit in their hands and shake on it. Something they've been doing since they were kids. Clink, clink, clink. Libby cuts in then, tapping the side of a jelly jar drink glass with a fork, trying to get everyone's attention. <clears throat> I, um, <clears throat> I, I have something I'd like to say. Come on, uh, squeeze in here. As guests squeeze in and line the walls, Libby nervously picks up a pile of index cards. Uh, hi. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, <laughs> wow, I'm nervous. Sorry. Didn't expect that. Bastion shouts his support through a mouthful of SOB. Yeah, fuck him up, Grandma. And it works. She smiles at him, clearly put at ease. Finally, she finds her card and starts her speech. <laughs> well, thank you, dear. And she reads from a card. <clears throat> As all of you know, four weeks ago, my husband shot himself in the head. He always did like to make a big fuss. Before that, he had been an award-winning taxidermist. Everywhere you looked in this house, there were mounders of Prentice. She gestures around the room, presenting all the dead things adorning the walls. It's very performative. She means us. Milo smiles, but elbows her to let her mother finish. Since Prentice's death, I've had quite a bit of free time on my hands, which I've used to reflect on marriage, grief, and anger. She gives Loli a nod. This is her Hugh, Loli gets up and runs into a dark hallway. For our entire relationship, Prentice was the artist. I did everything I could to support him, but clearly it wasn't enough. So now, now it's my time to shine. Everyone's very confused. Libby flips a switch and the lights go off. Then suddenly a spotlight lights up. It's a bear. It's the bear, the prized bear from Jess's shop, somehow here in the living room. Bananas. A whole fucking monkey pit of bananas. 
Bear begins to move. It stands on a wheeled platform, pushed out into the living room by Loli as everyone else watches in stunned silence. There's more on the platform, too. For one thing, there are sex toys everywhere. There's another figure, too. This one bent over in front of the bear, covered by a black tarp. It's unmistakably a pornographic taxidermy diorama. And suddenly, Jessa knows exactly who made the mess at the shop. Motherfucker. Exactly, my dear. And with that, Libby steps forward and rips the tarp away, revealing a human mannequin getting fucked by the bear, who has two enormous dildos duct taped to its paws. The mannequin is clad in skin-tight leather chaps, and the figure's hand-sculpted face is grimacing in pleasure, and it's unmistakably modeled after Prentice Morton. There are gasps from the crowd. Vera's casserole slides off her plate and into her lap, and then... Is that dad? His whole ass is hanging out. Of course it's your dad. It looks just like him. In the face, dimwits. While Travis hate eats his casserole and pretends none of this is happening, Vera looks like she's going to throw up. What kind of memorial is this? The kind that remembers a person for who he truly was. What is wrong with you? Nothing. <laughs> Finally, after all these years, there's nothing wrong with me. I found my voice. And it said that? Libby goes back to reading her cards. Uh, in this piece, I've used Prentice's taxidermy to illustrate the repressive nature of marriage and sexuality. Jesus Christ. There's a strong relationship between sadomasochism and how marriage sets women up for cyclical punishment. You made a joke out of him. Jessa says this completely oblivious to the fact that she's been making jokes out of this until this very moment. I turned him into art. Realizing something, Jessa turns to Loli. Cheese dip, huh? Sorry. She paid me 20 bucks and swore me to secrecy. There's your raccoon, Bastion. Oh, shit. Bastion's raccoon is part of the diorama, wearing sunglasses and eating popcorn as it watches the action. Done with her cards, Libby sets them aside. The show is over. Who wants pie? But Vera can't do it. She can't do any of this. Not anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This family is just too fucked up. Bryn pumps her fist. She's won her bet. She turns to gloat, but Jess has had enough. This is fucked up. That's why I'm taking this. Jessa storms over to the display, grabbing hold of the bear and pulling it free, cursing as she awkwardly struggles to get it out of the house while everyone watches. We're exterior, central Florida. It's night. Once again, Jessa drives her truck through the suburban Florida town where she spent her entire life. The sun has set, but the place is still as strange and hot as ever. The bear stands in the bed of her truck, the dildos taped to its paws, flapping in the wind. And we cut to... A polyurethane deer mold. In the shop, Jessa holds the mold, antlers already attached. The deer skin from earlier hangs, drying in the background. There's a different mood now. No music. Jessa is deep in concentration. With tools and files, she slowly sculpts the face of the deer. Where the previous steps were of a technical nature, this is the real artistry. Jessa uses molding clay to form the deer's mouth and eye sockets. Then she places two dark glass eyes into the sockets and the deer suddenly comes to life. We're in a bar later. 
Beneath a big, beautiful mounted elk head, Jessa sips a beer at the bar of The Elbow, an old darkened saloon, a place she used to drink with her father. The bartender, Shecky, comes over with another beer and places it in front of her. Jessa gives him an air toast. How's the shop? Same old, same old. If by same old you mean my mother turning our display window into Pornhub, my brother telling me to sell, even though there's nothing to sell, and my dad, well, he's the one who left me with this whole mess in the first place. Ah, fuck them. All of them, especially your dad. That shop is yours now. You got to do what you got to do. You, you think my dad would be proud of trivia night? Fuck no. He'd say nobody wants to go to a bar to think, but you know what? I'm the one paying the fucking bills. They share a laugh and a real toast. As Shecky turns away, he catches the eye of a sleazy guy sitting a few spots down. Shecky points to Jessa and then to the elk head above her. That's her work. Best taxidermist in Central Florida. Hell, whole state, probably. Shecky goes to help someone at the other end of the bar. The sleazy guy turns to Jessa. You stuffed that? Jessa gives a courteous nod and turns her attention to the television in an effort not to encourage this tool. And who is going to stuff you? (laughs) If Jessa is stunned by this, she doesn't let on. She studies the guy for beat. Then she downs her beer and leans over. I noticed that cute little birthmark you've got. The one right below your collarbone. That's where I'd start. Sleazy guy is so excited he might just blow a load. Jessa pulls out her buck knife, opens it, and places it on the bar. I'd slice a clean line down your chest, and then I'd make a horizontal cut under each arm all the way around. Doesn't have to be perfect. It can be a little rough. What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, I couldn't in good conscience give you anything more than a shoulder mount. She eyes the guy's groin. I can tell you there's nothing lower than that worth showing off. Completely oblivious, Shecky approaches. How you two doing? You need anything? Jessa throws some money on the counter and grabs her stuff. Not me. Calling it a night. How about you, Bambi? You good? Jessa leaves him there, humiliated and terrified. As Jessa walks out, a song kicks in. Something good and moody. The kind of song you'd use to kick off a prestige TV montage, which is exactly what we're about to do. Jessa wheels a dolly with a massive bundle up to an ice cream shop. It's Wits Shop. Scoops, bear it is. There's a stupid cartoon bear painted on the window. It's the worst. Jessa unwraps the bundle to reveal the bear, dildos, still intact. She's going to fight to keep the shop if it's the last thing she does. She pins a note to the bear, which reads, six months, keep your waffle cones, fix the AC instead. At Fun Spot, Milo works the late shift, attempting to get a woman in a bumper boat out of a corner without falling into the water himself. With headphones on, Bastion's got the stuffed raccoon in his lap. He removes the raccoon's sunglasses and puts them on himself. He runs his hand along a seam on the animal's underside. Then, using a pocket knife, he cuts the raccoon along the seam. When he's got it open, he reaches inside and pulls out a big bag of pills. He's picking up right where he left off. In the garage, Libby affixes a variety of dildos to a stuffed cow's udders while Loli stands by to help. Sweating in her evening gown, Libby smiles, truly satisfied. Jessa stumbles home, drunk and sweaty, walking down the middle of the road. She's singing at the top of her lungs. Not well, but she doesn't care. She's going to make this work. 
at Jess's house. As she walks up, she stops. There's someone sitting on her front step, barefoot and sipping from a Slurpee. It's Bryn. Bryn smiles at what a mess Jessa is. You owe me $10. Jessa reaches in her pocket, but comes out empty. Don't have it. Turns out I'm completely broke. Well, I guess we'll have to work something out. Jessa takes a few steps towards Bryn before remembering something. Milo said you bailed on picking up Bastion. Where'd you go? Bryn rolls her eyes and motions with her hand as if it might actually fly away, taking Jessa's silly question with it. I had a thing. Does it matter? I'm here now. And with that, Bryn approaches Jessa. They stand there for a long moment, just inches from each other, swaying softly in the mosquito-riddled night, and then Jessa grabs Bryn and kisses her. Bryn kisses back. It's a long, intense kiss. The two of them grab at each other, stumbling towards the door, pulling at clothing. They make it inside, the door slamming behind them. Setting the woods on fire starts in again, only this time it's the little Richard version. We do not follow them. Not yet. There'll be plenty of time for what's going on inside that house. For now, we just stay here on the door, on the secrets we know it hides, and the already fragile family that it will inevitably explode as we cut to black. End of show. I hope you enjoyed that. And you got to come back next week to hear my interview with Brian and Jessica. Uh, you know, we get it. We talk about the moth a bunch, which I feel like may be just a really underused route into this whole writing thing. It's really interesting to me. Anyway, Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Findling. It is edited by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, the best thing you could do, the most help, would be to tell a friend about it. If you know anyone you think would be into this kind of thing, just uh, let them know. Second best thing would be to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And you should follow us on social media just to keep up. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. Maybe we're still on Facebook. I don't know. I'm not the social media guy. Anyway, until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.